The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, the New York Magazine sex podcast. I'm David Wallace-Wells and with me today as, I guess it's not always since I've been away for a little while, but usually um, is New York Magazine sex columnist Maureen O'Connor. This week we're going to be talking about, oh sorry, hey Maureen. Hey, David. I'm so out of practice. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about waiting. Maureen, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about why we're doing that? Yeah, um, I'm really, really bad at waiting. And I recently had a few conversations, read some articles about the idea of waiting for love, waiting for sex, the sort of romantic holding patterns we put each other in, and what kind of person you'd rather wait before you start dating them or not. And this concept was so completely foreign and strange to me that I decided we should have a couple guests on to explain how it works. So those guests are um, Aaron Gloria Ryan, who's the deputy editor at Vocative. Is that how you pronounce that? Yeah, it's Vocative. Vocative? Oh, it's like evocative without the E's. Uh, I think I've had that explained to me maybe even by a guest on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, by Ben Ryan, got her coworker. <laughs> anyway, welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Um, we're also joined by Maureen's good friend and sometime collaborator, the writer Jason Chen, whom loyal listeners will surely remember from our episode about sex dreams, in which Jason told us about a dream in which he blew his dad. He's like shamefully looking down right now. For the record, I was told that that was going to be anonymous, but I'm all good. It's cool. That's me. Wait, do you not guys. want to take credit for no, that? No, it's all good. It's out there. Our friends know. The yeah, I mean, knows. if you listen to the episode you discovered, it has nothing to do with sex, like actual sexual things. Yeah. We all learned so much that week. Anyway, Jason, thanks for coming on in the flesh this time. Thank you for having me. This week we're going to be discussing a date with Jason. We're going to be discussing a dating phenomenon, um, which Jason called benching. He wrote about it on nymag.com. Benching has replaced ghosting as the most annoying thing a person you're trying to date can do to you. So maybe we should start there. You want to tell us about what benching is? Yeah. Um, the idea sort of came from something I was talking with some college girlfriends about. We sort of were describing annoying behavior that men were doing to us, which was, you know, you see a guy, you go on a couple dates, and then it sort of peters off. But then he will do this thing where he digitally tries to poke you a little bit, whether it's sending text messages that are really kind of nonsensical that asks you how your day is going, send you a funny GIF, a link to a funny story. Um, he'll do things like double tap an Instagram post. He'll view your LinkedIn profile. And then when you're like, let's set up a date, exactly. he replies with like a cat GIF. He's very like <laughs> evasive or you guys make plans and then he always ends up having some other thing come up. Um, and we decided that this was this kind of mind-fucky behavior that you do to somebody that you maybe kind of like but haven't really decided about. And it's a way to keep them in play or on the bench, so to speak, without actually moving forward or getting rid of them completely. So we decided that it was called being put on the bench, and I decided to write a story about it. Is it always like a bad thing if you're on the other end of it, or are some people like happy to be... Like, on the team at all. You know, I feel like it's only a bad thing. I feel like if you're not the one, it, it might say something about the way I like to be in a relationship. But I would prefer to be the one in power. 
And so I would like to be the one deciding when things happen. I would so like have you, to be are you guilty of having done this? To, that is yeah. also part so of this is the a, discussion. I'm, I'm kind of guilty of having done this as I, well. I had this complete recognition when I read that story because I am also such a chronic bencher. Mm-hmm. And in your story, it was posed as mostly, and I think I probably do hear it mostly, of women being like, this man is flaking, he's doing this, he's doing that. But I was like, I kind of always bench people. In that, I think there's something kind of polite about, I might be so twisted, but I was like, we're not going to go out. I don't feel like going out, but I don't like hate you so much that I'm going to be like, I'm done with you. Or I don't hate you so much that I'm never going to speak to you again. Like we can chat a little and like maybe if the time happens, we actually will want to get together or we'll get really horny and then we'll fuck. Totally. (laughs) I mean, I think it's a little unrealistic to expect that when you meet somebody, the relationship is either going to be all or nothing because 99.999% of the people that you meet in your life are going to fall somewhere between the love of your life or the person that is your life partner and somebody you never see again. Like most of the people, you have to figure out like where they fall. And I think benching is a way to sort of like take the temperature, like figure out, is it, are you, are you here? Are you, are you higher? Are you lower? Are you still interested? Yeah. And it's not necessarily like... A romantic thing. Like sometimes you meet somebody and it's it's really hard to distinguish uh, just being interested in them as a person between being interested in them as like a partner. Because I've, oh. I've met people before where it's like, oh, my gosh, this person is so hot and I'm so excited to know them. Um, but then the more I talk to them, the more I'm like, oh, this is definitely someone who I'd be friends with. But I don't want to like jump in right away and eliminate the, the chance of us even being friends right. at all because I'm still trying to figure it out. So I don't consider it like a rude thing at all. It's it's sort of like a, it's par for the course for me. Definitely. I would never just be like, okay, let's talk all the time. Like now we're going to be together always. That just seems that seems really reckless to me. Well, it also seems like it's one thing that you're saying to the person is like, I want to be thinking about having sex with you a little bit, like, in the future. Like, I don't want to give up. I'm, I may not want to have sex with you right now, but I want to think about the possibility of having sex with you for, like, an extended period of time. But here's – okay, now here's Which the question. flattering. How frequently or how many times have you heard about somebody who did put someone on their bench and had them sort of in the rotation but wasn't going for it, and then they actually did go full on later? I've never heard of that. Does that ever actually happen? This is my I, big I feel question. Like I've heard, I feel like I've heard of that. People who are just like, oh, yeah, we sort of knew each other in college. And then when we were in our 20s, we went out once and then we were together. Like, I think every New York <laughs> Times, like, wedding announcement has some component <laughs> of benching involved in it. It's like, they met and they were like, well, whatever. And then they both went to the same True. elite clowning academy. And, or it's just, you know, some, <laughs> some weird where it New all York goes Times, down. Yeah, some weird New York Timesy twist where it's like, they were braiding artisanal bunny hair or whatever. <laughs> I just realized that I asked that question I was like it never happens and literally just last weekend I was at my brother's wedding and that actually was a bench situation I think. <laughs> yeah. It was about a decade after they first met that like the stars aligned that there was like a little bit of interest and then finally the stars aligned in a way where they like really did it. Yeah, and there's there've been times when I've been like fresh off a breakup and it's like nope, nope, I'm emotionally dead inside. Right. I have nothing to give, but you're interesting. I'd like to know you. And then eventually, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm ready, I'm ready, Even, whether that's for sex or, or yeah. not. But isn't there also like a monogamy bias built into this like whole idea? Because if you just want to keep someone around and like talking to them, that shouldn't be, I don't know, like the end goal of every interaction doesn't need to be like a relationship, right? Yeah, totally. totally. I think it's also an effective way of keeping that emotional lifeline going. In the event that you do want to make this romantic relationship, or maybe maybe it's somebody that you want to end up having as a fuck buddy, yeah. or somebody that you want to keep as a friend, or as a professional contact. It's mm-hmm. all these different ways that you can weasel into 
a maybe different kind of relationship through the initial romantic attraction. Have you ever had like a ghost sexting type relationship where you maybe had? Yeah. So (laughs) years and years ago, many moons ago, um, I had a I had a situation where there's this guy that I met and we hooked up, and he didn't live in the same city as me, and we would um, we would like. I don't know. We would talk sometimes and we'd go for like weeks without talking. And then suddenly at like 1130 at night, I would get like some extremely sexual texts from him. And then we would just like sex for two hours and then we wouldn't talk again. And it was just sort of like just so it was like, oh, yeah, next time I'm in town, like this is keep it going. Yeah, this is going down. But it was like it was it was I actually kind of liked it because it's like I don't want to talk to you all the time. Like there's this is what our relationship is. We are friendly and I don't dislike you, but we're never going to be in a relationship. And I but I like having sex with you when you're around. But I also don't want to not see you for like six months and then suddenly have you show up and be like, jump on my dick. Like that right. just it's, it just seemed like rude. So, so the like, sex scene is the equivalent of like having him be your fuck buddy, except he doesn't literally fuck you yeah. more than maybe twice a year. Yeah, exactly. At the at the most twice a year. But it was <laughs> and it was like uh it was like a nice I thought it was like a nice little like How's it going? Like, it was right. like getting a Christmas card <laughs> from this guy that I used to fuck. It was like a fuck Christmas card. So it was like, your fuck bench. Yeah. He was on the fuck exactly. bench. You're on the yeah. Fuck bench. Although, so to be fair, though, a lot of the people you interviewed were very frustrated by the realization that they were on the bench. And I suppose the key is when the benching occurs, what which bench you're on and if you knew it was happening. Right. Is I think when people start to go crazy, when you're like... I thought I was falling in love with this guy and he keeps sending me cat gifts. What now? Totally. I feel like what you were saying earlier about the guy who was emotionally or was sending you text messages occasionally. I mean, that's a dangerous game to be playing because if you were a different person, you maybe could have received that text and thought, who the fuck is this? What is this about? But then you were game. I think it's almost like if both parties are on the same level of understanding about what's actually right. going on here then it's game on or it's game over yeah my my assumption has always been to just go into things thinking that it's just sex <laughs> and, then, and then just be like pleasantly surprised and it's like oh you like me as a person oh my god right. i have feelings what is that <laughs> yeah that's always been the way i mean i'm sure that's somehow disordered but that's always the way i've gone into things <laughs> that's roughly how i do it too wait jason you also made this really good point in your benching article about sort of how keeping that little, like, sort of poke, that little, hey, there, I'm alive thing alive is a lot easier in when all it takes is, say, a text message or, like, one hour of hot and heavy texting with you. It's sort of like you don't have to actually cross state lines to do that. Totally. I think that is the part of it that's kind of interesting and different now at all these stories we're reading about our hookup culture. But it really is just leading somebody on, whether you intend to or not. And... Whereas before you had to maybe leave a voicemail when you were sure that somebody was out of the house to pretend that you were still interested in somebody or take somebody out to lunch or take somebody out on a date. Now you literally can just text them something and act. And it's the act of acting interested when it's so, so little effort involved. You could probably even send the same thing to everybody on the bench. Oh, completely. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure that there's so many people who do. Oh, yeah. God. This idea of the roster is just that, is that you have this entire bevy of people that you just occasionally it's like reach you, out to. You just have to find a way to put your name in their mind every so often. Completely. Well, how is how is this different from the friend zone? Because I always used to joke around with male friends of mine that I never really thought of it as a friend zone. For me, it was always kind of like an on-deck circle, where yeah. it's like any of you could be called up at any time. Right. Like, <laughs> um, 
it, it, what's the difference? Or is it uh, the same thing? I feel like it could be the same thing. I feel like the friend zone is the place you put them, and benching is the way you get them there. That okay, you know what I mean? It's like the means but it, versus isn't the, the end. Of the friend zone sort of like it's over. Like there's no possibility. Right. Of- yeah, I think what we're saying up. is that um, Aaron and I are both the kind of girl where we're like, there's always a possibility. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the friend zone, anything could happen. But I do think for traditionally, I think the friend zone is supposed to be that like, oh, it's never she didn't want to bone me. She said, we're ju- <laughs> How many people have you said, let's just be friends and actually stayed friends with? Oh, like none. There's there's been a few. I've just I've been in like a series of long relationships, and whenever mm-hmm. I'm in a relationship, it's I, I'm I'm pretty straight and narrow about not violating yeah. anything like that. But sometimes I'll meet somebody when I'm in a relationship yeah. and I'll think like this person's really interesting and it'll just be like in the back corner of my mind and I won't act on it. And then yeah. you know there'll be times between where maybe I do. The fr- the, that's yeah, when you yeah. call, right. call That's them. that's when that's when it's like it's like draft day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like some you people get, like, would seven draft that, picks. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, exactly. would be the back burner is that if you're in a relationship already and somebody is a potential love interest, and that person isn't necessarily the friend zone, but is in is on the back burner. All these like yeah. crazy so many terms. metaphors. I know. But what yeah. interests me most about it is what you started off talking about the power dynamic. That it's not just about like lining up potential future people or people you don't want to dismiss totally. It's like sending the signal to those people that you're like you're giving them like a little bit of a stiff arm. You're right. like I'm like I want you to know that I'm not into you right now, but I also want you to know that I'm like not done with you yet. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And like it's up to me to determine when you're coming back. Right. I'm the one deciding. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds it sounds like it's the most brutal when the party that's being benched has like real feelings. Um does that happen often? Like, I think a lot of times, like, two people will meet and it won't be great and people will sort of come to a mutual, gradual understanding that it's not great. Um, do you think it's usually there's one party that's super into it and one that's not? Aaron, yes. you're such a special human being. Every conversation that I have with gay men and girlfriends is trying to decipher this Rosetta Stone of a text and it's like, yeah. he just doesn't <laughs> like you. And, but you, as the recipient, are so, so into it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I, Aaron, either either this means that Aaron lives in a world of like mutual communication or it means <laughs> that you're benching everyone and they're all crying right now. <laughs> I would never have sex with a person capable of crying. <laughs> and then there's this whole other category which I know Maureen you were eager to talk about which is like you kick someone off the team hoping waiting for like a decade, two decades later when they return in like a new prime, right? Yes. Ooh. So my thoughts my thoughts on benching took a whole new dimension <laughs> when I was in Philadelphia with Aaron where um, at the DNC and we were watching all these like gray-haired politicians and actually the one that like sparked this whole conversation and thought <laughs> was when we're watching Tim Kaine I'm like god he's such a like look at he's such a like soccer dad. Look at this like dorky dad and Aaron goes, "Yeah, but have you seen?" And she like quick Google's like young Tim Kaine. Everyone listening, if you ha- if you're near a computer, Google young Tim Kane because the results are shockingly sexy. <laughs> yeah, and so I was like, "What the hell?" And then Aaron was like, "I know, right?" And I was like, "I mean, I guess if someone's hot, they will eventually stop being hot." And then Aaron very brilliantly says, "Oh yeah, but watch this." And then she shows me young, I believe John Huntsman and yeah. old John Huntsman. Yeah, opposite. Opposite. He got oh. hotter with time. He got incredibly hotter. He's like, and he keeps he keeps getting better. Because he was so dorky looking when he was young, and then somehow he aged into being this sort of like 
rugged silver fox. Yeah. And it just so happened that after that, like two days later, I was like, you know, poking around Facebook. I discovered a bazillion people sharing this one story on L.com that was very similar in nature. How has Jeff Goldblum gotten even hotter? He's now 63 and he's looking like so fucking hot. And then they're like, and he used to always play like awkward dorks when he was younger. And they see the younger pictures and you're like, what? How did that happen? My whole like understanding of aging and sexiness has been turned upside down. <laughs> and then we then realized that like it's the equivalent of being a grower or a shower. But in <laughs> life, in life, like did he start out so hot and you saw the full potential and then, you know, he got a little bit better, you know, or like was it like super small potential, but then all of a sudden... I think it's actually just that sometimes when somebody's young, even if, like, they're just, like, awkward and dorky. Right. You know the thing of, like, it's like their 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 adolescence lasted, like, really long. Like, I feel like some dudes don't actually reach their, like, well-groomed potential until they're, like, 40. Yeah, I think so. And I think also um, there's some – sometimes guys are naturally, like – you know, they they it's hard for them to put on mus to put on muscle, and they uh, no. But as they get older, yeah. like their their metabolism slows down, so they can start like being normal size. Yeah, yeah, bit. and yeah. like when they fill out, then they look. See, better. it's interesting you say that because I'm just looking at this list that Maureen put together, which includes also Mark Jacobs, oh, yeah. and Daniel Craig, and I sort of feel like the lesson is almost the opposite, which is that it's about men who happen to get really thin. Like John oh. Huntsman is another example. Yeah. But Mark Jacobs may be like the most representative one. Like nobody thought that he was attractive when he was like a young – When he was all schlubby. When he was like mm. – I mean he, he was never like a fat dude. But like he was um, – <laughs> then like he, he really slimmed down. His like features got way more defined like in his yeah. like mid-30s yeah. or whatever. I think there's some guys that are both though. Like I think James Spader is an example of both because – You think James Spader is hot now? Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh, what? Well, okay, wait, so what? my, no, 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 listen. So my, like, womanhood awakened the first time I watched, <laughs> I watched that movie when he, uh, was it Pretty in Pink where he goes, he's like smoking a cigarette and he goes, you're a bitch. Oh, like, I, I was like, right. <gasps> I'm alive. <laughs> this is great. Um, he, but then, like, I think that stuck with me. So it's now it's like he has, he had that confidence at that age. Like, imagine like, how awful he is now. Like, imagine how, like, <laughs> sexy awful he is now. Uh, um, and that's sort of, yeah, that's sort of my uh, my whole thing. And are I you into him in Sex, Lies, and Videotape? Or? I haven't seen that. Do you know oh. what it's about? Uh, I would imagine Sex, Lies, and Videotape. So he plays, like, a bit, an impotent pervert who, like, gets <laughs> off by taping women talking about their sexual experiences. Oh. But it's, like, in his early, like, you know, it's not quite pretty in pink, but he's, like, probably in his mid-20s when he did it. Okay, I mm. probably like that. I would probably like that a lot. Wow, because I was going to say, I think that kind of, like, cockiness is cute, or, like, there's something sexy about that when someone's young, and then when they get older, they're just, like, a successful sleazewad, right? Like, that level of confidence on a person who is a fully successful person is just unattractive. But, well, I mean, not to be too gendered about it, but, like, aren't attractive sleazewads, like, I mean, what did you say? How do you describe them? Successful sleazewads? Like, aren't yeah. they? Aren't those people attractive? I guess maybe just not to me. I think that once <laughs> you like, if somebody's gonna be wildly successful, they need to have like some deep insecurity. Otherwise, they're just too like yeah. right. I think glossy I, and good. There's no. There's no humanity there. I like it when it's hidden. When it's something that you just like get glimmers of. When it's not something that they necessarily are all about, but it's something that you can kind of tell that they're a little. Dirty. I don't know. That, that, that that's I mean, if it's like somebody who I don't know, um, 
like a a good dude, like an actor who's got like a squeaky clean reputation. Um, if there's like a, I don't know, if he gets he gets caught at like a sec a weird sex club, like that makes him so much hotter to me. Where it's just like, oh, so like he's living this like he's able to like compartmentalize and live like he has this the self control to live one way and then have like this whole other thing. Like there's something like sort of hot about that. Where it's just like, oh, the veneer has cracked. And I and I think that men maybe have the same thing where it's like. They like seeing, like, a woman, like, with her hair messed up or, like, with ripped clothes or, like, not having everything together. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's it. It's, like, having, having like, like self-control except for, like, one moment where you can get a sense of, like, how they really are. Hmm. I had an alarming moment when I thought I was going to see these pictures from when I was 16. And I thought it was going to be, like, me, like, um, this is so weird. An ex-boyfriend who was getting married was, like, found these old pictures thought I'd send him over to you before I delete them. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, oh, no. And they're kind of like sexy-ish, but like baby Marine. This is so gross. I don't know if I should. <laughs> but I was like, I don't know if I can look at this because it's be disastrous. I'm gonna this is see one of myself. your sexy modes, sexy baby Marine. <laughs> <laughs> no, boy, I was about to look at these pictures from when I'm 16. And I was like, I don't know. This might be upsetting to me. Like, I'm this must be peak hotness. And I'm just going to feel old and ugly. And I took one look at them. And I was like, holy shit. I was so gross when I was 16. There's like zits uh, and I'm like weird looking and yeah, I'm awkward. Think, and it made me feel so much better about that. myself. I think the weird idea that like people are the hottest when they're like in their late teens is really crazy. That's I, a yeah, John Cougar Mellencamp myth. That's yeah. a yeah. John Cougar Mellencamp myth. Hold on to 16 for as long as you can. What the fuck? Yeah. No, no nope. definitely do not hold on to that. For any length of time. I remember I used to get really mad when I was like a teenager and it's, you know, like a like relatively smart girl, like in, you know, Minnesota and everyone was kind of like sure like no boys are going to date you now but when you get older you're going to be a catch and I used to fucking hate that so much that I was like I don't care like I want to I want a boyfriend now you know um and I you realized didn't actually that, like have trouble with guys when you were a teenager did you not that much actually yeah. but to be honest <laughs> but like no there was something really irritating of like people would say that sometimes and I think what they were trying to articulate was some like you, too, could be a John Huntsman who gets better with age. Like, it was a way yeah. of complimenting you and being mm-hmm. like, you have potential to, like, become someone great. But I remember it used to make me really mad because I was like, that's not fair. Also, it's like. just like, I think they were just trapped in some terribly outdated and restrictive gender idea that, like, no teenage boy is going to like a smart girl. Right. Just, yeah, that's true, too. This yeah. idea that smart and attractive are incompatible is probably what they were mired in. Yeah. yeah, it's it's so weird because there have been so many women who are like very publicly smart and very publicly beautiful. And over and over again, there's like, I don't know, there's like a cycle of every like two years to be like, what people? I think now it's funny. It's yeah. women can be funny and beautiful as opposed to like maybe before it was smart and beautiful, beautiful. But it just it's so redundant. It's like, do we not remember? Like, <laughs> do we not remember happening? like Lucille Ball? Yeah. Who like ha- what? Like, how do we not? How how are we so stupid that we forget that women can be smart and pretty or like funny and pretty? It's just it's so weird to me. You know, actually, I think the reason that that keeps happening though, of the like, what can you believe? This like smart girl is also beautiful, and the beautiful girl is also smart. Is also just that like people just want to be able to sit around talking about how hot hotties are and yeah. us being being like, and she's hot. Let's talk about the hot. Let's talk about the hot as we're doing <laughs> right now. <laughs> So on that note of the hot politicians, during last week's political 
sex lives. We discuss the concept of the cuckservative or the using of the word cuckold as an insult within political communities. So we actually have a voicemail this week from somebody who is into the cuckolding sex community. Yeah, um, listen to the show today, and as always, a really great show. Today was the one you dealt with the delivery romance and the, the whole cuckconservative cuckolding thing. Um, you guys seemed a little at sea uh, when it came to what cuckolding is all about, so I'm giving a call to give you some information as I've been involved in this scene for a number of years. Um, basically, within the scene, there are three roles. Uh, there is the cuckold. He is the man who, first and foremost, is usually denied sex by his wife. Not only will his wife uh, take other men as lovers, but while she may occasionally fuck him or let him fuck her, that's rare. Uh, if it's full-on cuckolding, he is um, he is not fucking her at all, and he is uh, he knows and is fully aware, and is oftentimes watching and assisting when the wife is being fucked by her lover. The other role is the wife. She can be referred to as the hot wife. Um, hot wifing is sort of a variation on cuckolding. A lot of women out there fucking a lot of men uh, while they are married, uh, but specifically, she's known as the hot wife. She can be uh, sub or she can join um, her lover um, as a partner, as a full-on equal partner. Uh, in this situation, therefore, the wife will generally be referred to as a femdom. The third person within the, within the uh, dynamic is the bull. The bull is the uh, male lover to the wife. Generally, the bull is someone who can last long and um, certainly within the community, you know, generally it's understood that you have to be at least eight inches or larger uh, in order to be qualified as a bull. Additionally, as I mentioned before, the husband uh, oftentimes is not uh, allowed to have any sex with the wife. Um, and basically, it's a dynamic wherein the wife is controlling, is not only, um, not only is she experimenting with her own sex life and embracing it and really, you know, freeing herself sexually, but she's also controlling her husband, the cuckold. She's controlling his sex life. This is frequently done with a chastity cage. Um, you can check out, for instance, a website like extremerestraints.com. Click on the uh, on the link for uh, chastity cages, or occasionally they refer to them as cock cages. I don't refer to them as cock cages because cuckolds don't have a cock. If anything, they have a little dick or a little dicklet. Okay, so that's where the clip cuts off, but he actually then called back to finish up the thought. <laughs> so let's listen to that next. I'm following up from the last message I left. I got cut off. I probably went on too long. I'll be very brief. As I mentioned, I frequently uh, have been, I've been in a number of lengthy relationships with, ships with couples wherein the cuckold uh, to the wife um, I was fucking, wherein the cuckold uh, was oftentimes put in um, put in chastity. Um, additionally, uh, more variations on the theme. Um, the cuckold is often there, certainly in, in the circumstances and the relationships I've been in with. Been with, we frequently had the the cuckold prepare the bull's cock with his mouth, um, sucking my cock to get it strong, to get it full and hard. Um, oftentimes, the cuckold will be fucked by the bull. Just one more uh, humiliation for him. Uh, cuckold, cuckolding is all is one other part of the dynamic is about humiliating the cuckold, and the cuckold gets off on this. Um, the last thing you, we, you brought up the race angle. Race is certainly fetishized within the cuckolding community. I am a white bull. Uh, however, there are a lot of black bulls. Um, frequently. The uh, phrasing will be used will be, you know, a couple is looking for BBC, which does not stand for British Broadcasting Company, but stands for Big Black Cock. 
there will also be couples who are looking for BWC, big white cock. So, as I said, it's fetishized. Some people probably are racist about it. Uh, others not. You know, it's just, as I said, part of the dynamic. It is interesting how basically so this type of fetish sort of plays out a series of sort of fears and anxieties surrounding masculinity and becomes like almost like a little like pageant about it mm. in some way. Um, and I find it so unfortunate and sort of normative that perpetually we're like the guy with the bigger dick takes over, you know, and like wins and humiliates a man with a smaller dicklet. That right. like, I mean, I feel like there's this mistake people always make when someone's like, he's got a small dick. And then the response is always, well, your dick is smaller. Like the correct response is someone's like, he's got a small dick. It's like, yeah, I've got a tiny dick. And do you know how many times I have sex with it and how fucking damn great I am with my tiny dick? Like dick, small dicks don't have to be a sad dicklet being like abused. But it seems like these guys are into their dicks being made But I guess they are. Right? They like right. that. I mean, I think it's one way of many to sort of express, to deal with your anxieties can be to fetishize your anxieties or to sort of act them out in a way that's like really dirty and pleasurable. Right. The one part of this, like his little like cuckolding 101 uh, yeah. lecture that I didn't know was that um, the man and the wife tend not to be having sex otherwise. I thought it was just like a fantasy of basically cheating or being cheated on. Yeah. I didn't realize that like the marriage actually had no sex in it to begin with. I don't think that's always the case. Yeah. I mean, I believe him if he says that that's usually the case or I mean within his, cause the other key I think to remember is that when, and I fully like respect, and I'm so glad he called in to tell us about this. But when people are talking about like our community, this is the case that's within that community. There's probably tons of people that are enacting some level of cuckolding fetish in some form or another without necessarily saying it out loud that way or without connecting themselves to a community of people. Like I imagine it's sort of a more a self-selecting group that decides to sort of tie themselves to this community. And I'm sure there are tons of dudes that are, yeah, my wife is so fucking hot and like maybe she sleeps around with me. I don't know, but it just seems unnecessarily complicated, like the rules of Quidditch. <laughs> like, too many rules. Just, I, I mean, like the cockage you're referring to. Yeah, like it's just I, I got lost at that yeah. point. It's just sort of like, and then lot. where's the golden snitch? Um, <laughs> He's like, but you can go to www. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, you're, like what Maureen said about the community having their own rules, but I think that a lot of people just don't yeah. necessarily. Go. I appreciate knowing. The rules of Quidditch in their community, definitely. Yes, right. yes. But there are plenty of people always, I think, who are enacting every kind of fetish without necessarily using every single term and word. And maybe they don't know the word dicklet exists. Right. But they ought to because that is an adorable <laughs> That's term. That's an amazing word. <laughs> I wonder if dicklet is just like nomenclature that you used no matter how big the dick is. Like can you have like oh, a, yeah. a cuckold with a huge dick and it's just part of the degradation to use this term that demeans it even if like maybe the guy has a really I think amazing literally, dick. Yeah. Maybe the biggest or second biggest dick I ever like guy I dated for a while. And like we did this weird thing where he knew he knew his dick was fucking giant. Um, Jason also knows exactly who I'm talking about, but he really liked it when I'd be like, it's not enough. It's not enough. And like, there was no question that was not a dicklet, right? But like, <laughs> it was a thing. So <laughs> there you go. Huh? Do, do, do the dickless cuckolds really have no dicks? Are their dicks really dicklets? Or are they fucking giant? And they're just like living out some other fantasy yeah. that they never get to enjoy. Exactly. Well, that's it for sex lives. <laughs> 
Thanks so much to our guests, Aaron, Gloria Ryan, and Jason Chen. A reminder that you can always reach us at our voicemail box at 646-494-3590. Call us to tell if who gets better with age and who doesn't and why does it happen. And if you've had like... Um, you know, if you've reconnected with people who you dismissed early and had really hot encounters with later yes. on in life. How does the bench work for you? Have you gotten someone off the bench and back into your life? Sex Lives is produced by Sam Dingman. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. See you next week and thanks for listening. <laughs>